Hello, and welcome to episode 170 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with George Vega, artist and the artist of World of M2, currently on Kickstarter. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. And George, thanks so much for coming back. This is your second time on the podcast, but for anybody who wasn't able to listen to that first podcast, could you start us off with a quick bio about yourself? Sure, sure. Um, my name is George Vega. I'm an illustrator from New Jersey. I would say I'm a comic book illustrator and general illustrator. Those are two different worlds. It's not easy to, to say you're a comic book illustrator and say you do everything. Uh, or you can't say you're an illustrator and you can do comic book illustration. I really do think it's an important it's an important thing to bring up both of those different uh, lanes, let's call them. Um, I'm probably known for a lot of my um, work for uh, Upper Deck on a lot of the, uh, the Marvel cards, um, Aliens properties. Um, I've also done stuff for Cryptozoic, which is um, the DC properties on sketch cards. And, I have, uh, and I've done work on indie comics. And I'm actually known for uh, you know, uh, doing a lot of conventions when conventions were a thing remember mm -hmm. back in 19, yeah. uh, 20, 2019 <laughs> so um yeah that's basically uh my bio in a, i guess in a quick uh, less than three minutes awesome uh and how about just a a quick because we're going to go deep into it but as mm -hmm. we get started how about a quick elevator pitch for world of m yeah yeah got it um it's a steampunk fantasy adventure story centered around uh, three characters, uh, Walter Tank, which is a, a sentient steam bot, Jack Mast, which is which he's known as Captain Jack Mast as well. Um, more to know about about his past and Andrisa, which is a little girl they actually rescued in issue one. Or they didn't rescue her; it's more like they helped her. Yeah, and uh, it's it's. It's such a cool world, uh, world of M. So, where what was the inception of the idea for this like steampunk Arabian Nights hybrid? Well, it's like it's like steampunk. It's like Arabian Nights. It's mm -hmm. got uh, like a like a little bit of Aladdin, a little bit of Treasure Planet, that kind of thing. All mm -hmm. all in the comics. So, what, what were the, what were some of the inspirations and sort of like where, where did the ideas come from for this world? Yeah, um, I guess uh, two different. things things uh i guess what was going on with me creatively at the time and secondly would be my narrative as far as my narrative goes um i wanted to do a story like doing this ste uh, steampunk story i wanted to um adventure into different cultures as well right a lot of um what we've seen as far as and this is no criticism on the steampunk genre because they're it's still a baby compared to so many other genres you know um there, there are some comic books out there um but a lot of it seems to be a very which makes sense i mean it, it's very much um concentrated on on let's say uh america and europe mm -hmm. so I, I always wondered like what would the ramifications of like a steampunk world be global you know, on, uh, you know, on, on every culture, you know, so the, the fact that uh, the Silk King, which is the, the, the main um, uh, protagonist in the first issue, um, happens to be uh, basically the owner of the Silk Roads, as we know them historically, you know, that's why he's named the Silk King. Um, I brought him in and, and it, it just kind of happened organically. I can't say, hey, I wanted to, 
you know, it, it could have been anywhere because I actually did develop at, le- at least three other cultures as I did, um, let's call it the um, Arabic culture, right? So um, actually, technically, I looked into Sikh because, you know, there, there is so much, there is so many other cultures and, and, and you know, um, so the Sikh is just mainly where I drew a lot of, uh, a lot of that um, inspiration from. Yeah, it was like it's sort of Arabic is sort of a general sort of I guess feel for the 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 world, but that's yeah, I definitely see the Sikh in there. Um, and then like as far as like you know the the, the heroes of the story um, with Walter and um, I mean mainly, I guess mainly Walter like sort of like his design and his inspiration. Where, where did that come from? Right. So this is um. Yeah, so I guess this is part of the. Um, my own biography that goes into it. Um, it so happens to be that <clears throat> back in 2012 and 2013, my first few um, sketch card assignments weren't for Upper Deck or any of the, those bigger companies yet. It was actually for um, a small company in the UK called Cult Stuff. And this company, they would uh, just do interesting genres, you know, um, you know, Dracula, and they happened to do a War of the Worlds but World of the Worlds based on the um, H.G. Wells book, like 100% but based on that. Mm-hmm. And that was my first assignment where I actually had time to say, hey, you know what? I never read the book. And I guess as a kid, that was one of my, my best fantasies. And especially since I, I grew up reading so many fantasy novels, I always, realized, I always thought that not knowing how the industry worked, that that the artist would actually have to read the book and then do the drawing. But now we know, you know, as, 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 as adult artists, we know it doesn't work that way. You basically just get a rundown. You might actually, you might actually get a sample script. I would, I would guess. Um, I haven't done any um, jacket illustration for any publisher. So I really wouldn't know what the typical uh, rundown would be, but from what I understand or what I've heard is that they read an outline of the story the art director gives you, you know, what they're looking for and you execute. But <laughs> I've always wanted to have the chance to read the whole, a whole book and actually do art for it. So that's what I did. So then um, that, and if you read it, that's basically steampunk. That's the true beginnings of steampunk because you have Victorian era because it was written in the Victorian era. And then you have the sci-fi, the sci-fi aspect that's completely within the time of, of, of its inception. So uh, building those two, I kind of fell into it because, you know, um, reading the descriptions and of course this was written, what, like about a hundred years ago now? Yeah. Right. In the 1880s. Wow. So yeah, more than a hundred years ago, it was the way they envisioned sci-fi. So the way he envisioned things kind of helped me envision things. And I was able to draw the aliens or the, the, the three-legged aliens kind of my way and, and the tech my way. So that was my first, um, dive into that type of world right but so what ended up happening was right after that the next assignment i got was the american civil war right american civil war you know actually i i watched all the um what is it ken burns documentaries which are freaking awesome i mean if you want to see a documentary you watch a ken burns documentary (laughs) (laughs) and um so watch the those documentaries um and then i got then i basically did, did did the set and so happens to be that it's the Victorian era, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. So what ended up happening was um, 
let's see then after that yeah so it was like i was in this mindset so i i got this assignment in 2000 i think it was like 13 for bridget which they were looking for people to do some some uh what's called the base card art which is you know digital art or, or however you make it but it has to be um like you scan it in photo ready or whatever and then they can produce it in actual cards and they give you all the list of uh, genres, you know, that, that, that you can do. And one was steampunk. I'm like, you know, I think I can do something with this. So I did a few sketches of, of some of the different characters. And it was like, you know, do whatever, do whatever you'd like in your style. And, and they would and they would use it. So I did this rough, rough, rough version of um, I want to say that, that it's Walter Tank, but it's a steambot, but ba- steambot with um with like a, a handlebar mustache and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, I, something connected with me, you know? And being that I already had all this mental reference of all this, like the actual US Civil War. And then I, I did a deep dive into um, uh, of the Victorian era, you know, 1880s, 1890s, you know, 1880s, 1870s, 1890s, the, the, the fashion of the day. So it was like a catalog I had in my brain, you know? Um, and, as, and as artists and creators, you guys know that, that whatever you work in, for a little bit or for a while, that catalog, especially if you, you, you use heavy references, references, that catalog will be in your head for a while. Um, uh, so once I did that, so that was my first version of Walter Tank that was done. So then from then on, I started just doing all these different sketches and I would have to say my first drawing of Walter Tank was in a book called uh, Introducing, which was released in, I think, 25th, no, twenty. 13, I think, no, 2014, it had to be 2014 to 2015. That was my first actual drawing of a full flown, blown, you know, Walter Tank. And in the meantime, I had all these sketches that I was doing and just dumping them in, in a folder. I, I usually get like these big, um, I guess these, uh, there would be, uh, I don't even know what to like call manila them. Manila folders or like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, except it's it's black and it, and it has a Velcro. <laughs> so. Oh, so it's like one of those like portfolio yeah. Uh, things. Yeah. 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 Like like eleven by seventeen, and when I would develop yeah. stuff for that world, I would just sketch it, write some notes on it or whatever, and then just throw them in there. And I actually had two sketchbooks that I bought, you know, cheap sketchbooks. Actually, these kinds of sketchbooks mm-hmm. here. Well, I know yeah. it's a podcast, but so I'm showing people a, a sketchbook, <laughs> uh, a nine by twelve. Well, sketchbook. if we could just stop and describe the po- the the sketchbook, George just held up a ringed bind, <laughs> a ringed uh, sketchbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. looks like it's like 11 by 14 maybe yeah. a, a, a good guess but it's actually 9 by 12 i know the camera makes it look huge. all right we're done okay <laughs> pack it up folks okay <laughs> so uh so i have those where i would take them out and you know it's almost like i i comp- compartmentalize the the that world mm-hmm. and um that's that's basically the inception of it that's really cool because it seems like you had sort of the, the germ of an idea with a sketch and then all of these things just sort of aligned like with the projects and you know you mm-hmm. it seems like it was a little bit of sort of fate and a little bit of you sort of picking some projects that also sort of fell into it but you know you took that germ of an idea and you were working here and all of these other related projects but you were able to sort of take that idea and with these projects sort of build out from there so that's pretty interesting. Yes. Uh, um, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, as a matter of fact, um, for that Bridget, um, this project, 
I did the base card work. And then also I was, I did do um, some sketch cards for them as well. And, and I stayed with the steampunk genre. And it so happened to be that, you know, I executed these, all these other kinds of characters or whatever. And I, it just, it worked so well as far as my creative gears Mm -hmm. that I, I, I stuck with it and, and, and kept doing more and more of it. And um, actually, so, so the next part, which is important um, is that I sent the sketches and I had like a really rough idea for the world and everything and, and, and stories and, and such, and sent it to this, uh, this writer, um, Juan Pablo Osorio, that that's his name. And how I know him is um, through another project, which is called Transformers, the Lost Seasons. Yeah. Okay. When we talked about that on the last episode, that was sort of a, a sub-licensed comic, right? Was that what it was? Like it was sort of, you know, like a fan, I, fan uh, you know, I would say to be a fan comic. Yeah. Because it, it was um, back at, back and at that time, um, IDW had a really thriving forums section. You know, a lot of people were like posting stuff and, and they actually had found artists through there. So I was more than happy to, um, and this this comic was actually it's a very cool concept, very very cool idea, you know. And it's a way that that te- people would get together. And but the creators were um, this um, Juan Pablo Sorio, this other guy, uh, Franco Franco Villa, and um, well, not the famous you know Franco <laughs> Villa that we know that that draws, just just same name, and they started that uh, forum and they would just choose, you know, right. Uh, you know, they, they had a bunch of scripts. They would sometimes work with other writers. They would get a penciler, they would get an inker and colorist and they would do the comics. Uh, me being the fool that I was at the time, I was like, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to do everything. So I actually did the pencils <laughs> <laughs> and the colors. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a uh, challenging <laughs> to say the least, but, um, but it looks yeah. really cool. Oh, uh, that book is awesome. Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. It's actually, yeah, um, the whole, all the, all the pages I did are in my uh, GV Pop 80s volume one. Right. So, uh, you know, and I, t- t- I contacted them to say, yeah, go ahead, put it in there. So, um, you know, that, that was a problem to, to use that. But um, so that, that's how we met. That's how we met. And I ran it by, and I ran it by him and he liked it. And he was like, Oh man, I would love to write something for this. And he gave me some, then, then, then that's kind of how we started our, our collaboration where I, I would say things and I would actually submit a sketch or like a drawing, however, however far I went with it with like a whole uh, bio or outline of where I'm thinking. And then he would just get back to me and say, Oh, this or that, you know, or like, Oh, I, li- I like that idea. What if we do this? Or, or that would work well with this also. And that's basically how, how we developed it. So were your ideas, like, because you were describing that you would do a sketch and you might do sort of like a, like a bio. Do you feel like a lot of your ideas for World of M were like, um, like the starting point for a character or like a midpoint or an end point or maybe depending on what you had sketched, like how did that work? Were you like, maybe like you were starting it off and then like Juan would like finish it or maybe sometimes you were at the middle and he had to sort of give them the you know the origin or what how did that work mm-hmm. um I you know I have to, for the most part I had a pretty I have a pretty strong sense of what I want for the character you know um the you, a strong sense as far as the his his basic function or or his basic motivations uh, or let's say you know this is you know this is what this guy does or or whatever. There has been 
um, a few times where I just drew something and I was like, you know what? I like this. What do you think? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, or he's just like, oh, wait, wait, I have some ideas for this. Or I actually would say, you know what? I don't have any ideas for this. I kind of like this, this concept. What do you think? And then, and then he'd actually hook it into somewhere. And it might actually be something that we're working on right now. Or it would be something where like, yeah, well, that's going to be way, way farther down. Like, for instance, for example, I, know I, I did this one, like, decrepit looking uh, a, group, a, a group of people all, all, all hooked into some, like, you know, like, like some sort of, like, tanks that are leaking something into them or whatever. And, I, and it's just very dark. You can't see much. Uh, and I was like, I don't know much about these guys, but they seem like they're really old. And then he was like, yeah, I think I've got some angles here and not to give it away, but he actually wrote some pretty awesome stuff for them. But that, let's say those, like that group, for example, that's going to mm -hmm. be farther down. You know, we're talking, you know, issues way down. So that's kind of how our development has been for this, for this comic. I have some more questions about like developments of characters, but one I thought of, I sort of thought of right now, um, cause you brought up the transformers book and you sort of did everything on that visual wise. Um, but on, on the first issue, you had a different colorist. Like you didn't color the first issue that was colored by um, Dennis Lehman. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah. Are, are, is he going to be coming back for issue two? Or are you going to take over all the art on, on issue oh. two? I will never color a comic again. Oh wow! <laughs> I I yeah I I realize that it's for me it's too much work. I don't move fast enough. I I don't do it enough to to um have the proper speed to make it um let's just say uh viable. You know it just would would take me too long. And you know I mean I'm not opposed to like let's say hey if uh you know, Dark Horse wanted to do something. They wanted me to do all the art or if like, let's say, you know, Marvel or someone that, you know, one of the big publishers wanted me, if they, I mean, they don't need to ask me because they have everyone that does all that stuff. But if they were to ask, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know how to do everything, which is so important, you know, as a, as a comic book artist, when you are sort of going around showing people your portfolio, you know, to the big student, to the big publishers to be able to show that, yeah, I can letter, I can color, I can ink, I can pencil, all that stuff. Um, that those the, that Transformers book must be incredibly valuable to show to people. And uh, but not that like World of M isn't valuable also because you did everything on that book too. Well, um, I guess yes, uh, yes and no. Um, only because I think I think when when it when it first came out, it, it was valuable. And being that now it's been a solid, you know, what was that? Uh, let's say at least a solid six, seven years since I, I did that. Um, now it's so far bar, so far back in my in my let's say artistic portfolio mm -hmm. that right now, right now I can show people to to so they can see what I've done. But the value is not the same only because artistically I'm actually somewhere else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, you know, so as far as the way it looks good that, that I've done that, but, um, creatively or artistically or portfolio, let's say if I'm showing it to, um, to, to publishers, um, I, I actually, I've been advised to, to just put in the back burner, you know, um, by, by other uh, illustrators like, Hey, man, that was a few years ago. Show them all the stuff you have now. 
okay, it hurts because I love it <laughs> and yeah. I want to keep showing it everyone. But I do have to say at this point, artistically, I am somewhere else. And if I even were to do another run, another six pages, it would look different. I think you can still tell it's me, but it definitely would look different as far as um, execution because at primarily at that time, I absolutely did not ink. I was I had no inker skills. In other words, I could trace or I could like fill in blacks and I can, you know, somewhat what I would call at the time, you know, a quasi ink my work. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of open lines and not much uh, uh, textures or details or any any of the stuff that I do now. I didn't, I didn't even do back then. And now I'm actually I would as far as comics, I'm just my portfolio is my pencils and inks. And I, when I submit my portfolio, I let the publishers know hey, I consider myself more of a pencil or inker, and they can see that I, I always submit my my uh, my ink pages. So um, I guess that's an interesting way to look at it, where where I'm at now versus my execution back then. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry if I went off on a tangent. I do that, guy. No. So. so so just reel me back in, George. George, come back, come back. You're, you're well, we love we love talking that, and we'll, we'll we always come back to the projects and everything like that. But I, I, Matt, and I like to sort of drop a little philosophy and sort of art artistic uh, artistic philosophy in there, as far as like, you know, what, what how do we, like, you know, the, the the how do we all help each other get along in the industry, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's always cool to hear these tips about portfolios, to hear how other people mm -hmm. handle things like that. Um, yeah. Because yeah, oh. as an artist, you're 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 not you're fighting stagnation, right? Mm -hmm. Every day, as far as like you know, just keeping yourself drawing has to be interesting. So an evolution of style makes complete sense, and then that affects your portfolio and what work people see. Yes, yes, and and I'd like to throw a monkey wrench in right now and say congratulations on on Dino Thrashers, guys. Come on! Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. We we appreciate it. Yeah, you were definitely uh... an inspiration when we talked to you because we were we were doing a lot of the same stuff as you know you you do all the time, which is sort of the nostalgia, and this sort of like '90s '80s nostalgia of cartoons mm -hmm. and toys mm -hmm. and things like that. So it was great to talk to you, and that definitely gave me some inspiration to keep working on the book. For sure. Oh, awesome. awesome. May have to reach out to you for the next issue to do some pinup art. We'd love that. You got it. Cool. Yeah. You got it. So um, I think I think one thing that would you know you said that you've sort of had this evolution where you were doing everything, but now you sort of gone to to the pencil or inkler. But I think you know having those other skills because um, if you sort of think about it, the, the the production line is pencils, inks, colors, letters. But mm -hmm. by having those skills, you at the like the, the the first half, you're able to maybe by working in some of those other aspects, you are going to be able to set up the the other two phases to not sort of trap them in somebody. Say like you know fill up a panel so much that the letterer doesn't have any room to mm -hmm. to get things in. So like that's still valuable to sort of like make a, an entire comic on your own just to sort of learn all of the aspects and and then later as your career evolves or depending on the the project you might have to slide into a different role you're going to be able to know like all right i don't want to trip up the artist or the the, the letterer here at the end mm -hmm. because i have a, a panel where you know the the dialogue is so heavy that if i i fill it up with a lot you know he's not going to be able to get it in so i think that's valuable as well you know, you know what it uh it is 
it, it, it is because it's almost like that knowledge, you know, especially, you know, if you look at where knowledge comes from, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about self-knowledge. I've never learned anything that was self-knowledge other than the fact that, you know, that when I'm hungry, I got to eat. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's this whole philosophy out there, which I'm not even going to get into about this whole self-knowledge thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't. I'm a worker. So I think knowledge comes from experience because you actually try to do the thing and you learn. Mm-hmm. And knowledge comes from someone, literally someone else who knows better telling you what to do or how to do it. Right. Um, and I think when you know how to do more, your experience is going to, is going to let you know, teach you that, Hey, listen, when you did this the other time, it didn't work out so well. So you best not do that again. Sure. You know, um, my layouts, I actually, I work with the script and if, um, I've, I've shared them before. My layouts, you'll see that, you know, they're very rough, but you actually will see word bubbles because I already have the word bubbles in mind. Now, I'm not going to dictate. Sorry about that, guys. I think that oh, was my. No worries. No, you know what? I, I, I've i heard other podcasts and I hear that. I'm like, oh, I know somebody got an email. <laughs> and, and I just I just trolled myself. I just trolled myself. Okay, that's what I get. That's what I get. Anyway, so <laughs> um, uh, we're, we're where was I? Um, yeah, as far as experience, so 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 that helps. So so in my layouts, you'll see that I actually have the word bubbles in there. And on one, on one occasion, which was kind of funny, I, I tweeted I tweeted about it. And there's this letterer. His name is uh, Taylor Esposito. He's actually a, a pretty uh, well-known letterer in Marvel and DC. And and like he retweeted it. And and you know I was like, oh look, uh, uh, letterers. Just so you guys know, when you guys ever get a George Vega layout or or, or get to work, you'll you'll see what you're in for. And then like he retweeted, like yes, you got you guys, you know, like are you guys looking? Are you guys paying attention? Which is pretty awesome because I'm not at that level, but yet mm-hmm. the fact that somebody that's that's a pro at that level to to recognize someone who who has some experience with something. It's, affir- it's affirming, right? That you know you're you're doing the right stuff. And that's like, you know, that's a big thing you talked about earlier with like, you know, coloring, you don't want to, you, you're someone who knows your skills so much that, you know, if you, you add coloring to this, that's going to slow the process down. But at sometimes you, you kind of have to like, so you have to sort of revise your, your uh, process a little bit and your artistic process. So you always, it's always good to make sure like, okay, do I, should I really be taking time to put out the letter? Like, you know, to write in the word balloons in my layouts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But then to have a professional say, yes, please do. You right. know, that's got to feel great to be like, oh, good. I'm doing something right. You know? Yeah. That's a big thing with artists is just, am I doing it right? You know, you, you never know. Right. Um, yeah. So um, completely, you know, um, that, that, that affirmation is, is key. And to continually keep an ear out for things that will make your process better. Mm-hmm. you know um depending on you know where, where you're at in the in the in the production i think so between you guys actually the other way now <laughs> so between you guys um who does uh as far as writing duties uh penciling inking coloring and lettering who's doing what or who has done what um so 
really Noah and I's collaboration is I do the writing and Noah pretty much does the rest of it. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a one man shop on, on the, uh, you know, the, the, the art, the, the coloring and the lettering side on a few occasions, like on Dino Thrashers, we have brought in a colorist to, to help the process. Mm -hmm. um, Noah mm -hmm. brought in a colorist that he's worked with in the past that knew nice. that would fit with his style, which again is like sort of one of those things you learn through experience. Like, yeah. um, you know, Noah knew that like uh, he was going to have a lot of uh, scenes of, you know, dinosaurs fighting in the air with, you know, bolts of lightning. And he knew that Alfred would, would be able to fill that in. So, um, that's sort of our sort of um, uh, collaboration writer, artist, um, but depending on the project, Noah's either handling it all or, or we're bringing in some other people. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, coloring is not something that I'm really good at. So having someone like Alfred, um, my colorist is, you know, beyond words awesome because like he, well, him and I really, I, I really lucked out in meeting him and, and getting to work with him because he's, he's phenomenal. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But to get back to sort of the uh, work process for, for this book, um, do you sort of pencil ink letter and then send it to the colorist or do you wait for the colorist to finish his or her work and then letter it afterwards? Um, actually, um, I, 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 for World of M, I haven't lettered the, the actual final. Okay. Um, what I did was um, as far as, um, so I, at this point, I don't, I don't let her anymore. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm retiring. I'm retiring from that job too. <laughs> uh, but so how it worked out was actually in issue one of the world of him. The first 10 pages is a collection of about three years of work wow. because I was um, just doing panels. I was drawing the whole comic, the whole page and just releasing, I was cutting up the page and releasing it online. Um, that's basically the base, the base of this whole entire comic. So I would release these small parts and uh, people were following and I was getting, you know, messages about it and, and, and people saying, oh, that looks pretty cool. I'm liking it. So on and so forth. So that's how I started. So at the, by that point, I was doing everything. Right. So I was lettering and, and, and doing, doing everything. So what what I did was um, when we collected the full issue and actually did the first issue, I got the whole book relettered. Okay. So. I uh, eliminated all my lettering from the first 10 pages and everything was relettered by the same guy, which is a uh, Franco, Franco, Franco Villa, which I, I've completely forgot. You'd mentioned that earlier in the, in the interview. Yeah. yeah. Big, big. But yeah, so he, um, and, and he's actually a great, a great letterer. He sometimes, uh, you know, this is the great thing about comics when it, when it's a true collaboration where you can do your, your step. And then when you hand it into the other person, they add that other thing where you're like, Oh, that's, yes that works you know th that's the real beauty of comics you know and now i'm seeing because of comics i actually see this parallel with, with film if you look at film a lot of these same parallels run in tangent and they're actually it's important that that all these elements are are done um correctly creatively mm -hmm. and and every step in the process, everyone is trying to bring up, basically bring up the stock of the project. Great colorist, great letterer. And then from then on, you get to finish that. That's, that's, uh, you know, the best, literally the best one you, you, you can afford to, to, to have out there. 
Did you do a like uh, when when Franco went in and did those uh, relettered those ten pages? Did, did you ever do a side by side comparison to see like he chose to put a balloon, you know, in a in a different spot or or? Uh, uh yes, I well I I did at home, yeah, <laughs> behind closed doors I did because I'm like, wow, he's so much better than me. What, what's he doing that's so much better? And then I actually compared. I'm like, okay, um, actually I have to say for a good amount of it. It's the same where where I where I put it is where he placed it mm-hmm. for for a um a good amount of it. There was a few things that he did where um I can't recall now, but um there's one panel I remember, which is um when Andrisa in the first issue when Andrisa's running down the alley and she's saying help me, um the way he did the the way he broke up broke out the word. Um, and I can't really remember exactly, but, um, the way he broke oh, out yeah. the word, um, oh yeah. You can, can you guys see it? On yeah. Screen? It's, it's, okay. it's, it's more of like emphasized and it's sort of at a larger font that, so it like symbolizes sort of like, uh, you know, the, the urgency, the, the, you know, it's, it's maybe her voice is a little bit more elevated. It's a yell. Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking at it now. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So. So in my original, I think I just did it, you know, I did it bold and just made the type a little bit bigger. Um, but the way he did it, um, I guess the visuals of it, the way. Uh, um, yeah. Also, like, the balloon is not like circular. It's like broken out of filming. Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really great. That. It makes it like a more of a uh, almost like a sound effect, mm-hmm. you know, than it is like a like an actual word balloon, which is great. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, that's why you know, the letterer put thought into it and did that. Me as a letterer, I would execute it and I kind of know what to do from reading comics for like, you know, like, you know, 10 years times three. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> and, um, so, you know, that, um, you know, I can, how do you say, replicate what I like. But again, a letterer would come in and, and make a choice where I was like, ah, oh, yes, 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 you help. Yeah, you fix that. <laughs> yeah. Very so cool. it, you, you have the tagline of sort of machines, magic and mayhem. And, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious that we know what the, the machines part of this and the mayhem, you know, any any comic, any sort of, unless it's sort of a slice of life comic is going to have action. So I'm assuming that's the mayhem, but do you, do you want to talk a little bit about the magical aspect of this story? Man, great, great, great question. Um, well, as far as the first issue is concerned, um, we get a taste of the magic, right? Um, the, the magic is going to be part, obviously will be a, a major part of this world, right? Um, machines, magic, and mayhem. Um, the magical aspect of, of, of the world is um, it's, created a cer- it's created a certain way so that it's not like, um, you know, I played Dungeons and Dragons growing up. I, I love that stuff. It's not exactly in the same way as, as you would in like in the Dungeons and Dragons world where like you actually have a perfect, you know, type of um, spell casting and, and you need this stuff or whatever. And boom, you know, there goes, you know, the magic, therefore the magic is cast, you know, because the guy has the ability to do it here in this world it's it's a little bit of of um basically fate um it gets beast the magical abilities uh get bestowed 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 oh my goodness i'm stuck in that word (laughs) bestowed (laughs) upon you (laughs) and um it's almost like a bit of will some people have let's say a lot more will they can imbue 
other people have a little less so they can do a little you know smaller things and it just depends it's almost like um depending on the will of the person and the, their ability there's certain types of magics magics that, that they can that that they can do um we're doing an issue two we are doing a deeper dive in magic um if you've seen um some of the art i i've shared um especially with uh, with marie the voodoo queen and the swamp priest that's heavy heavy magic mm-hmm. and that has to be done and as a brief outline um that you need that deep dive into more of the magic because we had a big question at the end of, of the first issue as far as what can this magic do and how the heck did that happen because of the magic? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I should say it. I don't want to give, I guess, give away. No, the no, no I think, I think you, you set up the, the, the magic system and it seems like um, what's important, I think with a lot of magic systems. And I think this is what you're, you're, you're alluding to is that you sort of have sort of like a rule set. Um, you know, we might not understand it right now as as the reader, but as as we go along, we're going to get little glimpses of it. And and you know, certainly we don't want you to divulge anything that's going to be a be a spoiler. But I, that 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 seems like you have sort of the system. And as it as we read more, we we learn more about it. This is that what you would say? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what, what I would say. And the thing is, the magic, the great thing about it is between the magic. Um, being in the world, it affects obviously the whole environment. Then, you know, between uh, amongst the magic, we also have um, forces um, that are from other, let's say, planes of existence, right? Mm-hmm. And just to be generic about it, we're talking demonic forces, elemental forces. We have all these other realms that are also playing into into this world. Um, and then also you have people who like to combine to combine a little bit of both. Hence the steam bots, right? Yeah, I was going to ask about the steam bots next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, what's what's the question that way? I can, hope, hopefully, I can answer it, and I give my whole universe away. I, am <laughs> a big, I, 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 you know, I'm a big mouth. I guess you know, if this was a Hollywood movie, they would have the guy next to me elbowing me. To <laughs> tell me. <laughs> well, my steam bots question was that it seems like well, with with the with the robots themselves and then with Walter, Walter has some sort of like supernatural element to him that's really cool, and, and the steam bots are very cool too. And it sort of reminds me of like uh, Mike Mignola, almost Hellboy stuff. Uh, was that an inspiration with sort of the design of those characters? You know, uh, okay, um, this may be sacrilegious, and, may, and maybe I should um, hold my head down when I say this, but I, I've never read Hellboy. Get out! Get out! <laughs> no, no, that's yeah, all right. Um, and no. this is ended. But I've—I mean, visually, I know who he is. I know Hellboy. I know everything. And I, actually, I have a really close friend who read it for years, and he would just go on about it. And, and I felt—I felt like I kept up with everything only because he would just tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm the kind of person. It's weird that like I don't. I'm probably one of the few people that doesn't mind spoilers. That's probably why it's bad to talk to me about my creative <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's only like a spoiler. I mean, I guess it, it does hurt you to know, you know, who dies at the end. Right. It, it does. Cause you're kind of like, Oh, I didn't know that would happen, but that doesn't take away from the story. Cause all that is for me. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm weird for me. All that is, is an event. If, if some character dies, that's an event. Oh, wow. Now I want to know why he died. So now if I know he dies, as I watch the movie or, or what have you, I could actually invest more into how did they set up his death? 
I don't know. I, I know it sounds weird, but I'm kind of weird like that, where like I don't mind being told a whole thing. And then once I get into it, I kind of remember, but then I can kind of work out to see if it really works or not. That's awesome. That's great. But so the inspiration of sort of like the, uh, for lack of a better term, like spirit living inside Walter, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of fuel, like, like it sort of like uses the, the machine as sort of a shell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where, where did that come from? Because I, I thought that that's probably my favorite part of the book. I just love that, that little element, like that sort of combination of the magic and the machines, you know, yeah. like that, that, that's like the most perfect sort of, I guess, example of it in the book. Yeah. You, you know, um, Walter became, it's weird, but Walter became a star on his own. I don't know where he came from. I drew him and I swear, it's almost like I downloaded him from the universe. It's not like, you know, it just, it came out and it's like his personality and everything um, about him already, I felt. And then when the writer wrote, wrote him in, it's just exactly how I felt about him. Um, maybe it's just the way it works, you know, right? A lot of times your visuals can match what you feel about the character right i mean that's basically the world we're in you know creating visuals to imbue um our our story or to imbue you know what the character's about um so how how also came about was you know i did the drawing i did the artwork now so walter himself he is he is an an anomaly he's he's very he's, he's special um and hence you saw that in full action in the first issue actually in the first 12 pages that people could read free on on uh global comics <laughs> they could um read the first 12 issues of the, of, the, of the first 12 pages of the first issue they can um find out they can see that in action um there is an aspect of him that is almost like uh i guess it would be like a russian doll aspect right the russian where the the there's um something within something within something so um i'll leave it at that so um that that will be revealed or or further or further explanation but he is an an anomaly only because now this this i'll be happy to expand upon is that you know the steam bots are generally you know just almost like um um they're brought to life through through different parts of magic um in line with engineering. So you, you get the right engineer and the right guy that can do magic and you can make a certain type of a steam bot. So you need two different elements to make these different steam bots. And they, and they vast from very, very simple um, to complex. Now, um, for the most part, steam bots are, they're sentient, but they, you know, they're very, um, very Android like you know they don't have many they, they don't have uh complex feelings or or they're not um they're not human uh but they're still but but they're they're a to explain it in, in our own terms they're kind of like an ai uh, uh encoded with with magic so one of the things we do when we have people who are on that are in in the midst of a Kickstarter and they, they're running a Kickstarter, we, we like to sort of check in on the sort of the, the mental state. Um, you know, running a Kickstarter is, is hectic. It's almost a full-time job in itself. So how are you hitting the refresh button every, every 30 seconds? Um, how, how are you handling that? Well, I have to say, luckily, this is my fourth, my fourth Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So n- now that I have a little little experience, now I kind of know how things can go. Uh, I'm I'm not as tense as I was for the I would say the first two, 
my first two Kickstarters, I was like literally doing that, like, you know, hitting the refresh, checking, oh man, no pledges came in today. That's it. I'm doomed. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um, um, when I, when, when you experience firsthand and I, and I've told, you know, anyone who, who, who has their first Kickstarter and if we chat, you know, I always tell them, listen, it's a ride. And just so you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be peaks and valleys, peaks mm-hmm. and valleys. And it's great. And don't, I know it's going to be disheartening when you see some other Kickstarter that's funded in 24 hours. I know, I know the feeling I've never had anything funded in 24 hours. Um, but, uh, and without sounding, you know, like, like a braggart, but my, uh, what is it? GB pop 80s volume two was like 75% funded in 24 hours. That's nice. my best so far, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this one's been going on longer than 24 hours, but it's okay. I love the way it's tracking. Um, so th- that's a disheartening thing when you see these, and then you see these mega kickstarters that the numbers are like, oh wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know. So um, now I kind of know that it's, it's a process, peaks and valleys, and even with with your funding, pe- you guys may have experienced this you, peaks and valleys within the funding, meaning all of a sudden you have two drop pledges, three mm-hmm. drop pledges, or you know what hurts most is and and, and again you know. Sometimes you, you have what, what I will call your VIPs or your heavy hitters. And as, as you do more Kickstarters, you'll see that you're going to have return customers. And the beautiful thing is, is I always tell people is, you know, um, the best thing to do is find your heavy hitters. And what I mean by heavy hitters is, is I guess they're, they're called the super backers. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, there, there are, I, I'll probably be the first to claim that there's a lot of fake super backers out there. And I think there's a whole, and I don't want to be, I don't want to speak conspiracy, but We'll get into that in a second. <laughs> Just tell me to get back to this, okay? <laughs> we we will <were> noted. <laughs> so um, then you have you know these super backers that are I would say super in every way because they they will like you got top tiers they will go for your top tier mm-hmm. or they'll go for their way up there and you get three or four people like that. And that just makes that that little arrow go up, you know, jump up so much where you're, you know. It's a godsend because though, and, and if you satisfy, and this is what's important is to to deliver and satisfy those people because once you yeah. do that, guess what? The next one they're gonna show up. They mm-hmm. will be there backing it up. They'll be your number three, your number five, and you're like, oh, you know, thank you so much. Um, we, we, you know, you can really appreciate those people. And then the the other thing to know is that always at the end you're gonna get a spike. Within it, it can be the last week, it can be within the last few days, it can be within the last 24 hours, but at the end, you're going to get another spike, another surge. So, you know, for people starting doing their first Kickstarter, you know, if you're at, if you're at like 50% funded, you know, and not even getting too caught up with percentages, um, you'll be surprised at how that last spike can, can, can take you over. And then all of a sudden you're in, um, I always forget the word, the, uh, the stretch bonus. goals, stretch, stretch goals, goals, stretch goals, yeah. stretch goals. <laughs> then before you know, you're like, oh, whoa, hold on, I'm in stretch goal ter- territory, and then you know you can start issuing stretch goals. Um, which fortunately I've had for every Kickstarter, I've, I've at I have at least um, gotten to my second stretch goal level. Nice. Um, so that that's what I would say about that. That like at this point, I'm a little bit more calm about it, only because of because of the experience. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more experienced now. Just like we were talking about the drawing process and all this other stuff, where your experience actually kind of tells you what what um your own experience dictates to you what what you should uh, what you should do. So knowing that 
I can just um, just keep plugging away at, at a certain schedule, mm-hmm. the results will come in. Some days I might be inclined to push a little harder only because it, it's almost an instinctual thing. It's like you feel it that some reason, for some reason, things are very active out there. You mm-hmm. get in, that means you need to go with that activity. If you're getting retweets, this, all of a sudden there's a lot of comments, get in there, comment back, share, reshare. You know, um, somebody else has, has a project or whatever, share their project. For some reason, um, and it's a strange, it's not tangible. I can't tell you when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but you use a little bit of instinct as well. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna. I've noted to go back to your conspiracy um, uh, (laughs) thing, but yeah, I I can agree um, as somebody who's run probably four, three to four on my own, and you know been part of anthologies and actually worked as the as the publisher of Dino Thrashers. Mm -hmm. It's excitement at the first couple of days because you you track Mm -hmm. upward because you know you got friends, you got family, you got Mm -hmm. you got people who are sort of your, your followers that are there and you it's, it's an excitement of the first day maybe first two days three days mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you sort of you know you might get one or two things trickling in then you have the days where nothing happens and you're like is anybody hear me is it, am mm-hmm. i you know is, am i just you know and and then it's like all right you know i've got to this point i feel pretty good and i know that like a number of people have probably hit that like remind me in the last 48 hours button that uh, yes. is gonna is gonna you know push me um at the end so it is definitely a uh an up and down roller coaster and um or actually it's probably up and then you sort of plateau for a while and then you go up again so it's 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 a it's a, it's a ride and you got to sort of uh maintain your sort of uh, composure. Um, but let's, let's, let's dive into the conspiracy. of Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. So now this conspiracy, um, dying for there to be, and maybe I've missed it, maybe like for like Kickstarter to have some sort of like open Q and a, or maybe some like Kickstarter reps to have like a panel somewhere or something. And maybe who knows when, when it'll happen or, because I've never seen anything like that anywhere. Only because I, I have specific questions to a certain process. Now, maybe someone knows. Maybe you guys know. I've been looking into it. It's hard for me to get definitive answers, okay? So one, one activity I've noticed that, that, um, that, that, that's been a trend throughout is you get a backer that backs your project. And with le- in less than 24 hours, I would even say within a few hours, as quick as within a few hours, or within within an hour or so or less than 24 hours they cancel their pledge mm-hmm. i've seen this um, as well um and the thing is now what i the good thing is that when someone can can, can cancels their pledge you can see who it is so obviously you don't want to go after the person be like hey what's the problem <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you know you, you don't um, i mean the the new jersey and me and well, you guys are from new york right <laughs> and i'm sure and i'm sure the new yorker and you wants to be like hey we got a problem here that you're going to cancel on me so fast. Now we're both wimpy boys from Maryland, Virginia. No confrontation, please. We're somewhat East coast, but not as, and not as tough as the uh, New Jersey folks. No, no, no. Well, we, we, we were, we're officially, we were labeled soy boys a couple months ago. So we're, oh, we're, Jesus. Uh, yeah, so like if, if one person says it, that means it's true. 
So, yeah, right, yeah. right. And one person says it has to be true. If it's yeah. on the if it's on the internet, it has to be true. It has to be true. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, as you were saying though, yeah, that I, I, I but I do get that 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 instinct of well, what did I do wrong? So that's more me. It's not more confrontations. Could I do better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> but you know, but but we're we're both per, uh, perplexed. So yeah, the thing is, one thing I've noticed, and again, uh, talking to other people that that have done Kickstarters, and that's why I can't wait, or I've been wanting to see if there's some sort of Q and A somewhere because I want to, you know, to address this situation, which I've known a few people have 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 um run into. So, and then once you look at that 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 person who who canceled, they have like. 300 400 500 backed you know in the hundreds you know i could be even you know some maybe as high as 600 backed projects and i'm like wow you know then okay now it's just not the let's say the reasonable thing to think right okay this guy backs so many things up that he's just backing things up and then once he reads through the all the information he's not interested the, you know gets uh decides to opt out Right, but now within the our I, this is what I want to know from Kickstarter. If someone backs a project and then backs out a project, does that backed backed count drop? So in other words, is it really tracking what they're backing? So in other words, if somebody backs something, boom, you know, let's say that automatically gives me my my back project, and then within an hour, twenty four hours, I back out, and th that number hasn't dropped then we kind of configure what they're doing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I don't know what other special things you can get from having, uh, being a super backer and all that kind of stuff. I know we're in a world where people love status. So it could be as simple as people just want to have that super backer status, um, mm -hmm. but you got to earn it. You, you have to be able to fulfill a certain amount of pledges, I would think. But does anybody know the answer? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know the answer per se as far as like if it if you you cancel your your pledge if it counts as a back project but I will say that um, I am in a number of, of groups of, of, of friends that are you know indie creators running Kickstarters and there has been sort of a few folks that have noticed um, and thankfully I haven't noticed this but just sort of back channel talks it's there's been a couple of like, it's the same name every time mm. that comes mm. in and they come in for like huge amounts, like you know, a couple of hundred of dollars. Mm -hmm. And then they, and then they, and then they drop out. And sometimes it's like in the last 24 hours of a campaign that they drop out. So it's like this new level of like trolling. And it's just like, why would you play with somebody's emotions like that? Somebody who's a creative that's in here, you know, mm -hmm. working so hard um to, to to make something and my question for kickstarter would be okay i back out of a project you know but i you know i back out at like the 13 dollar amount and i do it like two or three times because you know financially you know right, it just right. something happens or really acceptable right yeah um but or if give you're... them more time too like or like put a put a limit like you have uh like because like I bought tickets for Disney world. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can't, you can't get a refund of, for those within like a month of when your trip is scheduled or something like that. You know, right. Right. Um, 
you don't have to have that with the Kickstarter, but like have it be like, you know, three, four days so that you don't have to worry about like losing $500 24 hours from your. That or if you're like a chronic canceller, like, you know, there's like an, right. ex- there's like a, like a, like a, like a, a range where you, you know, Kickstarter goes, okay, this person cancels six to 8% of the time because, you know, just life happens. But if somebody's in there canceling like upwards of like 30 to 50%, there's something really suspect there. So like flag their account to be like reviewed or maybe even notify the, the, the person running the Kickstarter that, Hey, this came in, but we just want to let you know that this is highly suspect and it has the likelihood of of dropping out so you know as you're calculating your oh, funds right right make sure that okay. you realize that you know this four hundred dollars this five hundred dollars might not actually be there so keep you know um there's always there's like this great relief that like when you hit that funding goal you you, you take a sigh you sort of collect yourself for a bit and you mm-hmm. and then you and then you push forward you, you go for you go for more in that time that you have but mm-hmm. if you could be sort of alerted that you know what you hit that funding goal but we're mark we're, we're, we're marking this x percentage of your funds as sort of we don't we don't have a hundred percent faith that this person's going to deliver on that that would be that would be beneficial to the to the person running their kickstarter yeah so, that doesn't sound like it would be that hard especially now with like you know, you can do stuff like that on Instagram where you can be like, hey, this person's been reported for spamming and things like that and, and, and scams for, for a long time. So, you know, we, we haven't taken down their account, but just, you know, there are warnings like that out there on social media. So that shouldn't be that hard of an ask on something like Kickstarter. Right, right. So, so this is, you see, so this is why I've been looking for some sort of panel or whatever with Kickstarter. But I mean, at this point, it's almost like they really don't need to I mean, they're, they're, they're getting their piece of the pie no matter what. Yeah, that's the so big thing. I, I think at this point, where which I love the platform, right? I'm not complaining about the platform. People are saying, oh, go, for, you know, uh, what is it? What's the other one? Um, uh, Indiegogo. Indiegogo, oh, that's better. Or, um, you know, that's, you know, what, I'm not even going to get into those arguments. I yeah. love Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I, I love Kickstarter. It's it's it, I, I like the way, the way that things move. I like the fact that you do have, I'm the kind of person that, Maybe I have a bit of a competitive nature. So like you give me your goal, let me get to that goal. I'll work my butt off. I'll get to that goal. It's not like, oh, then we could extend it some more. I'm going to collect for a year. I've just seen so we really weird things on Indiegogo that I couldn't live with because it's, I mean, I get it. It's kind of good to cash out, I guess, right? Halfway through or however it works out. Um, but I like the fact that it's literally a campaign from X amount of time. You have this finite amount of time to work, get your, get your results in. And walk away. Well, I, I, I'm glad we're having this conversation because maybe this will have a ripple effect out there because I'm pretty sure plenty of other um, Kickstarter people have gone through this. And being that we, we get our projects funded, we appreciate that so much that we don't go back to complain about anybody who, who because th- in this, this, is, this in no way, right, I think we made it clear and hopefully I want to make it clear, we are not complaining about people canceling pledges. That's no. not, you know, life happens, yeah. man. I have, I've got, you know what? I've got three boys. They eat like crazy, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got a mortgage. I've got stuff. So I know how it is, you know, and sometimes, you know, Kickstarters come up and I'm like, you know, if I could even give five bucks, that's too much. You know, I can't, you know, I can't do it right now. You know, um, I, I, I'm a self-funded artist. I mean, this is what I do. This is my full-time job. So mm-hmm. every, 
every nickel and dime I make off of my art, it goes directly into supporting my family, my life, you know, mm. paying bills, right? Um, so I totally get on the fact that people have to cancel pledges sometimes. So this is in no way, but what I'm saying, there's some some suspect characters out there. Yeah. That pledge and drop, pledge and drop. And like you said, it's a new form of trolling. And that's what's scary because it's not like, you know, we're getting internet comments or something like that, that you can easily delete. Like Matt said, it's playing with your expectations yeah. and it's playing with you being like, hey, my Kickstarter goal will reach. I can pay my bills, mm-hmm. you know, and you're budgeting like a responsible adult <laughs> kind of thing, right, you know, right, like, right. and then when that paycheck doesn't come in, you well, know, I, that, that sucks. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, George. Oh, no, I was gonna say, I, I'll tell you, it happened to me uh, when I did my, uh, my, my first world of them Kickstarter where I got overnight, I got the email of congratulations, you're fully funded. And I was just like, Oh, wow. It's so awesome. I went to actually check in. It was overnight. So so in the morning, I actually went onto the actual, I like to use the browser on my computer to, to, to see the whole entire dashboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, I am kind of a bit of a math geek as well. So I like looking at the percentages and all that kind of stuff, right? So I go there and it's like, I'm not, a, I'm not funded. That's weird. And then when I look at the email, you know how you can, how it gives you the, the, everything like that, that's coming. Yeah, everything that's come in the, uh, what is it? The, um basically the cancellations are at the end yeah i was like cancellation so by the time i got funded or or fully funded someone (laughs) decided that they wanted to cancel their pledge yeah i think another thing that's kind of dangerous with that is is that um you know i'll have uh you know i i get invested in my own campaigns but then if there's somebody that i've talked to or somebody that like i've become a fan of or somebody that i that i'm you know that supported me and i want to support them i might go to their campaign and and look and it's 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 funded and or if i go to their campaign and it's the last you know two days and and they're mm-hmm. not funded I, I might want to you know slightly up my pledge or, or come in there but Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if for the people who come in on those last 48 days or 48 hours, they might see that the project's funded and be like, they'll take a sigh of relief right. and go, you know, I was really as a, an observer or a backer, I was really invested in this. But if there's suspect funds in that last 48 hours that are going to drop out, that person looking at that might also breathe a sigh of relief going, oh, my buddy hit his his funding goal. I don't need to sort of adjust or spread the word as, as hard as, you know, I might, if it's not funded. So that's, that's another dangerous uh, thing there as well. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of why, that's why we, I'm so glad we have really high profile listeners on this podcast. We're going to go out and spread the word about Kickstarter right now. You know, we have Alan Moore and all those guys listening in on this and all the heads of DC and Marvel are (laughs) very true. Or they're just going to use yeah. their platforms now to spread the word about the dangers of kickstarting. Well, I mean, Keanu, Keanu listened to the first Keanu, 100 episodes yes. and then oh, he decided yeah. to launch his own Kickstarter. So yeah, I know. there's that always that asshole. <laughs> yeah. Did we did, George, did you know we launched the same day as Berserker? God damn. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, actually, he launched Berserker the same day as you guys. That's same true. Day, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, so I, I really enjoyed this. This was, you know, 
sometimes when we do these, I'm not exactly sure where these conversations are going to go. And sometimes we go into different, uh, we go into different areas. And I think this is the first time where we actually talked about sort of uh, conspiracies, <laughs> conspiracies, yeah. but sort of like the, you know, the real aspects of, of looking at a funding goal and like how other people might look at your funding goal. Cause like I said, um, it's weird. Well, not weird, but like, I think it's really true that you are invested in your own projects, but you can get invested in, in other people's projects. And, right. and, and, you know, the way we talked about looking how the creator looks at a funding goal, how a backer looks at a funding goal, or, you know, a close friend who looks at, at a funding goal. Um, that, that was a really interesting conversation. So I'm glad that we got to sort of talk about that, but, you know, I want to I want to turn our attention back to to World of M because it is running on Kickstarter right now and it's running until December thirtieth of uh, two thousand and twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you gave us the elevator pitch. We've talked about it, um, but why don't you why don't you sell us on uh, World of M uh, one last time as as we close up? Yeah, no problem. Um, okay, so uh, as a reminder, this is uh, issue number two. So in this one, as I, I wrote the promo, <laughs> um, in this issue, uh, your questions will be answered. Questions will be answered, more of the world of M explored. The world is being opened up now. We're actually, um, I've shared page one, the beginnings of page one, which is they're basically uh, on an airship. They're basically on a Zeppelin and they're being attacked by air pirates. Come on, nice. come yeah. on, guys! Which now, that was it. That was teased in the the promo art that I had that I've gotten from you years ago, like three years ago or so. I have a picture of the of of Walter and the the other two main characters on an airship. So that's that's an idea that's been teased for a while, right? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, um, that one. Hold on, airship. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Technically, that's a. They're on a. They they are on a steamboat. Oh, steamboat. I'm but sorry. You can't, but you can't really tell, though. You can't. You, you're right. It, you could easily, and you see the sky, so you could easily think they're in the sky. So I, I, I you totally, um, that's totally the, the right way to look at it, where <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, well, now I've given you a repurposed promo art there. <laughs> there there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> I could I actually, I could doctor it up a bit to, uh, to work this up. But yeah, it, it, it's, um, we're talking an expansion of the world, they're actually going to go to another continent. All right, guys. So um, you're, the, again, the world is opening up. Um, we're going to do a deeper dive into the magic aspect. There's still, there's still big problems uh, uh, looming over, over the group. Um, they have one bigger problem that that developed by the end of the first issue. And they need to, to let you guys know the motivation for them traveling is to find answers themselves to what happened. Right. We have the big what happened in issue one. So um, in the meantime, they're, they're, they're going to and, and, I, and I love announcing this. They're, they're going to go to the Americas. In my, in my world, they're called the Americas. There's a whole reason why but they're going to the Americas and they're, they're, they're basically going to hit what's what's uh, the, the Louisiana territories. Um, and that and that is why um, we have Marie, the voodoo queen, which is she's actually literally a voodoo queen. Um, if if you know any of the of the of the Louisiana um, lore about about the actual Marie, she was no, noted as a voodoo queen because she was actually one of the top 
of voodoo practitioners but this marie is a is literally a queen <laughs> she's a literal queen and um she's a uh, um at you know, at odds with um, a new force that's actually taking from her, from her kingdom, let's say. And he came out of nowhere and he, oh, she doesn't know much about him, but he's known as the Swamp Priest. So the Swamp Priest, he, if you looked at that dude, one of my favorite designs, just my personal, one of my personal, I love my, all my designs, <laughs> but as far as my personal design, this, th this guy's, this guy's got it all. Very cool. So how about, uh, actually, let me ask Noah if he has any final questions before we, we give out your social media. Uh, no, no, no final questions. This has just been great, as always. Awesome. Oh, thank you. So George, how about, uh, how about your social media? Where can people follow you to, to see more of, of your art and, and follow along with uh, this project? Yeah, um, I'm George Vega Art on all social media platforms. So if you go, whatever your favorite social media platform is, just look me up by those names, by, by, by that name, George mm -hmm. Vega Art, you'll be able to find me. Now, Instagram is probably my biggest um, social media presence. Let's say I've got the most following there, a lot of activity, although I, sh I try to share the same um, content everywhere, but Instagram is my go-to. Um, that followed by uh, YouTube. YouTube, I'm actually always loading a lot of videos up of, of different artwork. I've done different projects and I cue them up with music and everything to make it a little bit more exciting. So uh, you, you look up George Vega Art and you should be able to find me on, on all platforms. Instagram is my biggest platform. And you, you, do, uh, you do regularly scheduled uh, Twitch uh, programming, right? Uh, yes, actually, maybe, uh, yeah, I should mention that. Um, I my uh twitch stream is every tuesday now i was doing mondays but um dave david finch told me to that david finch wants me to move mine to tuesdays because <laughs> i was interrupted i was taking some of his i'm totally lying okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> i was like no. dang david finch so competitive <laughs> he's like oh, george i think you need to move your your stream your, your no no not at all um Actually, one of the reasons why I moved to Tuesdays, it just works better for me schedule-wise. Um, you know, with, with the pandemic and everything, my, my kids are 100% remote learning. Um, I'm a teacher's assistant throughout the whole morning, most of the day. Once they're done, my workday starts. So after they're done, my workday starts to from as early, if I'm lucky enough, um, about, you know, lunchtime, around 12, 1230, um, all the way until God knows what, you know, midnight or even past it at, at times so that's basically so being that that's my schedule i had to narrow in on one of those days i wasn't going to do a weekend stream mm -hmm. so tuesday worked out perfectly because it's right there it's not really on the top of the day it's not on a monday tuesday's right about there i can recover wednesday thursday you know <laughs> so um tuesday nights uh seven ish eastern standard time and uh, I know that, like, I've tuned into a few. Um, are you doing any, like, uh, sketches during the Twitch stream that would relate to, to World of M characters? Um, um, what, are you, what are you doing there on the Twitch streams? Um, starting, um, starting from my last stream, which I actually did start. Actually, I started with introducing the, the, all the new characters for the World of M. I, I had um, my, over, my uh, overhead camera 
and I was showing everyone uh, all the characters I have lined up for this issue. So I did a, a long intro, talked about it. And then I went into, um, I'm doing Battle of the Sketches. It's this thing I, I jumped on. It's open to everyone if you guys are, are interested in. It's called Battle of the Sketches. It's actually um, run by some pretty talented folks. Um, Bernard Chang, drawing X-Men. Sean Chen, um, well, he drew Iron Man. He uh, legendary artist mm -hmm. uh, and a, a few other guys that I just met because of, uh, of, of that. And um, Bernard Chang, I, I do know, and, and he's actually has visited my streams and stuff. And I, I hang out at his streams as well. Um, he, he did this. And the reason why I'm doing battle of the sketches is because it, it, it helps me turn off my brain. So in other words, I look at the prompt, they're issuing the prompts every Sunday. I, I think they release the prompt and you have until that um, Wednesday, which is um uh, new comic book day. I, I was I kept I was thinking uh, new comic book day on Wednesday. So you you basically release your your sketch for that prompt that a comic book Wednesday. So um, from here on out, my my streams will be partly a world of M. I'm going to work on different types of sketches. Um, I have a drawing I'm, I am going to ink that actually will be going to my um, my number one my number one backer on my. Um, well of them Kickstarter. He doesn't even know it yet, but um, it's a little surprise because I try to take care of the people who take care of me, right? Sure. So um, from here on out, my Twitch stream will be, uh, I start with some World of M stuff and then go into Battle of the Sketches. Very cool. Yeah, I, 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 there's something sort of relaxing about watching somebody else draw. Um, unless, unless I'm watching Jim Lee's Twitch stream where he like... <laughs> he he like throws down these like random lines that look like just when he's getting started it looks like you know a children's scribble and then it <laughs> right. turns into this masterpiece like three hours yeah. later and i'm like oh my yeah. god how did he do that <laughs> yeah. um, but no it's there's, there's something just sort of relaxing about watching somebody else draw so um or even probably people can sort of see process and pick up tips and mm -hmm. just or or just inspire people to, to pick up a pencil and and sort of work alongside of somebody else you, you know with COVID yeah. it's like a good way to sort of connect as, as a matter of fact um, I'd like to add that when I do my streams whatever I'm working on I tend to break down the technique and, and you know it's almost like I get to talk to myself um, I kind of get to express what I'm doing and, and people can hear something <laughs> and I, I always like to break down the different techniques um, I'm working on or, or my approach I'm always more than happy to uh, go into what, what I'm working on as far as um, technique goes and I'm, I'm really happy to hear that people do enjoy it um, and it, you don't it can be people who draw people who don't draw people who just play video games like it's it's I, I'm surprised to how many people really enjoy it and say the same thing that they find it relaxing. They find it so, so enjoyable. You know, they, they watch for a little bit, walk away, then come back. They're like, Oh, wow. Look at the way that's developing. They really like that. And I, I found it weird because so much for me in the beginning, I felt so selfish in a way. I, I thought it was selfish because I'm enjoying myself. I'm drawing, I'm doing my thing. I'm chatting with people and I'm just, you know, just, just doing what I would normally do by myself in my office, <laughs> but with, with people now. So I always felt like, oh man, you know, someone, someone's going to know, you know, what kind of, uh, uh, sham or what kind of sham or scam this is because it's so, it's so fun for us. Um, and, and, pe and people aren't going to like it anymore. But in, 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 as a matter of fact, I'm, 
I'm more than happy to know that people actually enjoy it just as much as I guess I am. So that's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, George, it was, uh, it was great catching up with you. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've been a big, uh, a big fan of yours. Um, I got my um, George Vega or is it GV pop art two, And I have my uh, snake eye storm shadow sketch. Um, I have a bunch of GI Joe art. So it's, it's going to be added to, to that collection. So it was great to, great to catch up with you. Awesome. Um, but uh, we're going to have links to all of your social media and certainly a link to the world of M Kickstarter in the show notes of this podcast. We want everybody to check those out. Um, but uh, you have an open invite to come back, uh, future issues, other projects, just let us know. We'd love to, to catch up with you again soon. Um, Thank for you. Any- Thanks so much. No problem. For anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on social media. Twitter is at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod. Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Um, Please be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.